From the Financial Times in London, I'm Frederick Studeman, the literary editor, and this is News in Focus, where we offer insights into the stories that matter. One of the big highlights of the FT year is towards the end of the year when we look back at all the books that have been published and we get our experts and critics and some of our top writers to assess which of the books from the various genres, from economics to health, from politics to interiors, are the best reads of the year that's gone by. And it's a great pleasure to welcome Martin Wolf with me here, who's done once again a fantastic job in sifting through all the economics books that have crossed his table over the past 12 months, but in particular the last six months, and is going to give us an assessment of the types of books that we've had, the themes that they discuss, and what he thinks are going to be the great takeaways from them. So, Martin, let's first get an overview of all the books that you've had a look at in this year, and particularly the last six months. Are there any great themes or are there any books that really stand out? What is astonishing to me is how many good books there are. Taking the year as a whole, it's quite extraordinary. It comes to about 30 books. The themes are pretty clear. First and biggest, I think, is capitalism and democracy and their relationship. Is this a system in trouble? I think we're still very much in the aftermath of the crisis and in the slow growth and the rise of populism. And all this is reflected very profoundly. Another theme, not quite as common as that one, is trade and trade wars and the backlash against trade. Well, that's clearly a very significant one as well. There's some interesting thinking about AI. That's clearly going to be a running theme as well. There are sort of variants on some of these themes, but I think these are the ones that are clearly attracting a multiplicity of authors. Basically, they're asking, is the system working? It's a big question that we, the FT, led by you in a column that kicked off a whole new initiative by the FT, the new agenda that we've been asking ourselves. So I think you feel that we're part of a broader intellectual trend. We are all responding to the same questions. The system is not working as well as we would like, either politically or economically. You can either ignore it and pretend nothing's happening or respond to it. And I think many writers in economics, as in politics and other subjects, and of course, we in journalism have to respond to these questions. So of the books that you read in the last six months, which are the ones that for you really stand out about inequality and why? Well, Thomas Philippon's book, The Great Reversal, yeah. isn't narrowly about inequality, but it's about is capitalism working? And above all, is capitalism working in the US? And it is, I think, the most exciting economics book I've read because it uses evidence very, very compellingly to argue that competition isn't really working in the US. And, and that's quite controversial, working less than in the EU. Which is even and, more controversial. Which is more controversial. <laughs> and I think it's incredibly impressive. I think the book by Saez and Zuckman on how the rich avoid and evade taxes, mostly avoid them, is also really important because, again, it's not just waving one's hands. They've done a lot of work and they've shown really quite compellingly and shockingly to me that the top 400 richest people in the US pay a lower average tax rate than any other group in American society, all the way down to the bottom 10% of the income distribution. That's pretty shocking. And so it's the evidence. I'm very responsive to somebody who doesn't just talk about something very generally, but actually produces evidence. 
Tell us briefly then about the trade work. As you say, this is a topic which was often more on the margins, perhaps, of the debate. Well, there are several books, but Kimberly Clausing has done a really good account of why progressive people should be in favour of trade. I think this is a battle that has to be engaged, particularly in the US, because I think liberal trade is a progressive cause. And she makes a very good case for it, basically arguing, as I've tried to do in my own writings, that the problems of the poor and the working class, the middle class, have not been caused by trade. They've been caused by lousy domestic policy, particularly in the US, but not only in the US. But to me, the most important book is Paul Bluestein's. He's done the work we need on the origins of, history of, and current state of the US-China trade relationship. And this is one aspect, and at the moment, the central aspect of what is simply the dominant geopolitical story of our lifetime, I think, which is the emerging rivalry and conflict between the US and China, which is shaping everything. And he's done, as he always does, a wonderful journalistic job of telling you what happened, doing analysis of how it happened. And I think anyone who wants a briefing of what's behind this and taking us back decades, as we should, and putting it in context, he's very balanced about what is real and what is quite wrong about the charges against China. That is a very important book on a very important topic. Right. As you mentioned earlier on, you've been doing this for several years now, I've been doing these expert overviews and telling our readers what are the books that they need to look out for. Are there any new authors on the scene, new economists that you think, wow, this is quite exciting, never heard of this person, or you know, they've been a bit quiet until now? You think this is really interesting, this is a new voice coming through? Well, there are several books here by people I hadn't heard of before. I mentioned Kimberly Klausing, right. who's at Reed College, I think. Richard Davis has done a fascinating book on economics in extremes, very much the approach of a rather brilliant journalist. I understand he worked for The Economist at one mm. stage, and he went to see, well, what happens when things go really, really wrong, or which are really different? So and he comes out with post-Civil War. Yes, yeah, post-Civil War. That's really fast because it's so different. Mark Thomas, his book, 99%, a good, solid, radical tome, if you like. It's like the Occupy movement updated, but very well done. Heather Bushy's account of how inequality actually undermines growth. Very important point. I should have stressed that. She heads a think tank in Washington. It's a very well rehearsed summary of the evidence, making the argument the inverse. It's not, as we used to think, inequality is the price of growth. But beyond a certain point, inequality has many consequences which seriously undermine growth. And this is something economists have begun to realize. And I think it's a very, very important new author to me, completely new, is Katharina Pistor, which looks at the code of capital. And it's sort of an obvious point, but it's done in great detail, which is, well, what makes capitalism is all the things that are property and how they're property. And it's not just objects, physical things, the sort of things people used to think of property, all sorts of completely intangible things, derivative contracts, ideas which have been attached to the idea of capital. And she argues quite persuasively that we owe all this to the lawyers and that we understate and underestimate the importance of legal arguments and legal processes 
in developing the entire economic system we have today in many respects she's quite convincing on this really strangely things we would never really agree to if we were ever put to us collectively is that a sensible form of property we'll probably say no some of them are really quite weird could you give us an example well one of them which is really very technical and i'm sure i'll get the details wrong is actually is on uh, with derivative contracts Mm. how bankruptcy adjusts in that situation and what i discovered is that there are people you never expect who are ranked above the most senior creditors because of the way the legal structure works. And the implication is that people who thought they were protected in law because they were the senior creditors turn out not to be. And that's really quite shocking. And it's in the very technical details of these contracts. But that's where you illuminate these things. Finally, just on AI, Roger Boodle's book, which is just there, I think you found this quite a sort of different take. Yes. You've had lots of views on how AI is coming for us or has already arrived. Well, most books on this subject are of the form that the world is undergoing a fantastic period of never-before-seen upheaval. Most jobs are going to disappear, and therefore we have to be very nervous about all this. Roger's book is a nice corrective. Generally, our experience with these transformations, and there have been many, is they're not necessarily as profound, and they're not as quick as most people imagine. Economists have been grappling with this idea. David Ricardo, uh, 200 Mm. years ago, wrote about the possibility that machinery would generate permanent unemployment. And, well, it can develop real shocks. There's no question, Mm. real adjustment problems. But Bootle's argument is, well, we should be calm down and relax about this and not be too upset. Now, is that right? I don't know. Right. So in that sort of lean back, relaxing spirit, out of all the books, is there anyone or maybe two or more where you say this is a big book this is one that will stand the test of time people will talk about this in years to come that level i've already mentioned philip and up and his importance but i think there are two books which challenge us in a rather interesting way which i found particularly enjoyable one is a book by the german american ancient historian walter scheidel who wrote a wonderful book called the great leveler This book is called The Escape from Rome, and it's essentially a story of the last 3,000 years. And his argument is what made Europe the crucible of modernity, the continent where new things happened, to which now China is responding so successfully. What made it happen is that the universal empire disappeared. So he puts it, the best thing Rome ever did for us was disappearing. And that's a very much, I think, a counterintuitive view. It's not original. I mean, some people have argued this before, but it's beautifully done. The other book, which I enjoyed very much, but I know has been a bit controversial, which I reviewed, is Darren Achimolio and James Robinson's book, The Narrow Corridor. And it's a much more sophisticated an up-to-date vision of what liberalism means. What is a free country? As well? How does it happen? And instead of being where they tended to be in Why Nations Fail, their previous book, and the state goes away and everything happens as long as the state imposes the rule of law, they've now got what I think is a much more sophisticated view, which is civilized societies are the product of a balance between a powerful state, you need a powerful state, but it has to be balanced by a powerful society 
in democratic institutions which fight against the state and force it to take account of society's desires. And if you don't have that balance, you either end up with despotism or you end up with anarchy. And this is what I think is really important and why this is a significant development in their thinking is it brings out the great fragility of civilization, which, of course, we learned in the 20s and 30s, but we thought we'd fixed all that and that we now knew how to do all this. And the narrow corridor is the walk the, between the, those is The two. narrow corridor is the path on which stable, liberal, democratic societies exist and function, and it's narrow, and we can be pushed out of it. And that, I think, is a book very much of and for our time. So probably those are the two big books that I think are likely to stand the test of time because they are addressing things that we're not going to stop thinking about. Well, on that cheery note, Martin, thank you very much. And thank you, I should also just say thank you very much for having read all the books for for us, for our readers. I'm sure they'll appreciate that. And thanks for listening. Don't forget that if you missed our latest episodes on When Work Gets in the Way of Sleep, India's Economy and how medical websites share our data, you can subscribe and listen on all the usual channels. Thank you. Goodbye. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.